Welcome to Pod Me If You Can. I'm David Farrell. And I'm Lloyd Hughes. And thank you for joining us on our film discussion podcast. Quick note on spoilers. Uh, we generally discuss films after having watched them. So if you don't want crucial details of this film ruined, uh, maybe rent or buy or watch the film prior to listening to the rest of this podcast. Today we're talking about Martin Scorsese's heavily Oscar-nominated film, Hugo, and it is the first feature film in 12 years not to star Leonardo DiCaprio from, wow. from Martin Scorsese. Yeah. Uh, let's go straight into it, Lloyd. What did you think of Hugo? I, I love... Um, this was one of your picks, wasn't it? Yeah, You that's wanted right. to go Hugo. Um, I, I saw this last year when we did the podcast of films we're looking forward to in 2012, Yeah, um, and that was purely because Martin Scorsese's name's attached to it. And I think Martin Scorsese is the best director in the world out there. Most consistent, most accomplished. Um, ever since he began, he's consistently been making great films. It's not like um, a Steven Spielberg where he comes out with a you know big film and it's really up and down. He comes out with uh, yeah. King Crystal Skulls yeah. and then, you know bombs out with War Horse. <laughs> We're always going to rip on War Horse. Yeah, on this exactly. <laughs> um, it is true. Like uh, Spielberg's films are always hit and miss. I yeah. feel. Yeah. You get like The Terminal, which everybody's a bit questionable, and then or Catch know. Me If You Can, which I like. Yeah, Catch um, Me If You Can, bit of a hit. Yeah, yeah. Or Minority Report, which is okay, but yeah, he's okay. never been as consistent as Scorsese. He, like yeah. whether you hate the aviator or didn't think it was that good it was a very very well done movie yeah gangs um, of new york these things yeah. are all garnered oscar nominations exactly. for acting for directing yep. cinematography is a big one yep yeah, and hugo's no different and he's uh, and no one moves the camera like him i feel like even i didn't like shutter island at all but i will watch that purely just how it's it's the highest level of craftsmanship in cinema i think like he moves the camera so well and he's got that whole history like he's a hist film historian he's got that whole background he brings into his movies sure. it's just insane i loved hugo i thought it was fantastic I, I try to tell everyone to go see this movie in 3d i know you didn't see it in 3d that that's right? right now we can we can talk about this <laughs> um james cameron the director of avatar yep. obviously um attended a screening and called the film a masterpiece and he told martin scorsese it was the best use of 3d he had ever seen even including his own film wow which was avatar it's interesting with 3d 3d's been around for a long time um it's not something new it's just like some people say it's just a, a new fad that's been brought up it's actually been around for quite a long time the only director prior to james cameron of the highest level who's ever done 3d was uh alfred hitchcock with dial m for murder and he actually utilized 3d not to attack the viewers for the whole gimmick of it mm -hmm. he actually used it for an artistic purpose the famous scene and I, even though if you haven't seen the movie you'll know the scene I'm talking about where she's getting attacked by the robin she reaches out for scissors and the hand pours out to the audience as if reaching out for help yeah. and it's a brilliant, brilliant movie unfortunately watching in 3D is a very hard thing to find a 3D copy or to find a cinema that watches in 3D but sure um, he is the only director of that level that ever used um, 3D. Then, of course, James Cameron came along, and now Martin Scorsese, which, again, I think is the best director in the world. He's utilizing this technology, and it's great to go into these modern cinemas with these modern projectors and these modern 3D things and see what a mind like that of cinema, how, how they utilize that technology. Mm. And to be honest, I, I can't... I, I don't care if it's in 2D or 3D. I, I just lose myself in the movie and I forget that I'm watching in 3D sometimes I don't know if you feel the same way but like Toy Story 3 I, th mm. I saw it in 3D but 
I had to remind myself, oh, that's right, I saw it in 3D. Like, it didn't yeah, matter. It was it still register. a great movie. Yeah, yeah, it was still a great movie. I saw, I feel like 3D, the glasses are still annoying. I, yeah. wear, I wear glasses. Do you get the pinch? You do. Yeah. Oh. And so you're wearing double glasses, and so it really takes you out of it. One film I watched that uh, really bugged me was Thor. I saw Thor in 3D, <laughs> yeah. and it just felt unnecessary. And yeah. then, like, an afterthought, like, they finished the film and said oh, we should have some of this in 3D and very little of it was. And there was, yeah, not even worth talking yeah. about, really. Yeah, yeah. I feel like 3D maybe was brought in to get more people to go to the cinema. Definitely. But then it's probably more because of 3D TVs. Now you've got 3D TVs at home, you need more films. There's more of a demand, you know, yep. for um, films that are in 3D so you can watch it at home with your own glasses and yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I feel like one day there's going to be just a, a cover that comes down over the screen. So we don't even think about oh, it. Oh, right. You know? Yeah, yeah. So you um, don't have to wear the glasses. Yeah. I see. And yeah, you just yeah. watch this, like like when the curtains open, just another little thing comes down and there's a brief pause oh, while brilliant. it comes down. Yeah, yeah. And everybody's watching it in 3D, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, but the composition that Scorsese brought to it was really evident, like how close the the emphasis on the on like subjects like the tower um, that was really brought to scale, like uh, which characters' faces like really you know brought attention to it he really composed it really well okay um, good. I, i'd love to watch it again and analyze that like unfortunately i don't think i'll unless they do they come out with blu-ray 3ds i think no they idea. do yeah i don't know but yeah i sh- probably should see it a couple of times at the cinema <laughs> well yeah i watched it in uh, the 2d so naturally i had heard this and also yeah margaret and david on they're at the movies program they said you have to see it in 3d I'd already seen it at this point when I heard both of those, so I thought I'd mention it to you just to make sure one of us watched it in 3D. Yeah, yeah. But I loved it in 2D. Okay, sure, yeah, yeah. So it didn't really make any difference. I could see the bits that would have been accentuated by the 3D. I mean, but from the minute this film begins, the opening title sequence, um, well, the opening sequence, really, where he's going down slides and, uh, you know, you're getting kind of these epic zooms into Paris and stuff really amazing yeah. it grabs you right away yeah that's right and it is a children's film because it's PG rated you know I mean they want kids to go and see this as well that's right yeah you know he's held back on any kind of cursing or anything adult yep which that's is right. yep. unlike which... Scorsese <laughs> that's exactly right I was surprised it wasn't a baseball bat for his sequence <laughs> it did have those dark little themes like the um particularly Sasha Baron Cohen's character and he's locking away those kids that was a bit frightening it was like whoa yeah. and, you know the the parentless the orphan and mm-hmm. taken away and then I thought it was a bit weak that scene where um Jude Law um he he's you know hearing a noise he opens it in the museum there's like a flashback of the fire comes yeah. and he glitches I'm like is that a Scorsese directed scene <laughs> mm-hmm. Jude Law it's funny he was in the film for maybe two minutes yeah you know yeah. he was in the trailer he's in the promotional material you know um but barely in the film that's right. barely registered yeah yeah um which is quite quite strange i thought you know more about the child obviously yeah. Hugo. i actually thought i would have liked a, a better title for this film yeah it like sounds a bit weak doesn't it it does hugo. <laughs> and when you look it up on imdb there were two films called hugo in like seriously if it didn't have martin scorsese's mm. hugo i probably would have ignored it you yeah know? yeah <laughs> yeah i can't think of a better title right now off the top of my head but probably something to do with the automaton <laughs> the mystery of the automaton or something I, I found it was more of like I didn't realise it till halfway it was actually more of a movie about um, Millet the uh, George Millet yeah, yeah yeah the French director than it was about yeah. Hugo like I felt like at the end oh yeah by the way there's this kid and he gets around <laughs> he gets adopted by the director <laughs> yeah at the end <laughs> yeah I, I like it how though in Scorsese's films like 
everyone's a character and everything was well-rounded. Even Sasha Baron Cohen had closure in his story. Like, I felt like any other director's hands would have went, oh, no, he's just a bad guy. Who cares? Mm. But it's great they had that heart. Like, he pulls him out of the train and he asks, are you okay? Yeah. You know, he does, he's human. You know, I love that. I love that. You don't see that. And they gave him a love interest. Yeah, they gave him a love interest. And also he has that mechanical leg kind of uh, And he's tragic. He goes, I lost this in the war. You yeah, know, he just, yeah. Uh, <laughs> and uh, he, as well, I think, is an orphan. So oh, okay. there was that that sort implication. Of implication. Yeah, yeah. Um, I wanted to say the budget of this film, though, yeah, very high. Oh yes, yeah, one hundred and seventy million. Oh. was was over budget and clearly a lot. I'm guessing they must. Have, I guess they built the entire train station. Yeah, you, well, you would have to. There was every angle covered of it. Yeah, wasn't yeah. It? I mean, it was a very unique train station too. You got the hanging kind of clocks and stuff that yeah, Hugo's yeah. up in. In the whole, uh, you know, tower. Well, I of everything. love that. Uh, how old is Scorsese? He's like in his late sixties now. I'm assuming it's I can just have a look. great. It's just great um, to have Hollywood throw millions and millions of dollars at um, a director, you know, of that age. Before, like John Ford, he had a certain age, and oh yeah, you're over the hill. You know, don't don't bother about making those movies, um, making it's, movies anymore. It all should be to the young generation. Scorsese was born in 1942. So, yeah, there you go. I can't do my maths, but that's, yeah, he's getting on. 70, yeah. Oh, 70, oh, wow. It's just great. They'll give $170 million to a seven-year-old, you know, and it's a risky subject matter, but it's great. The studio respects him that much, and this guy, Mm. everything he makes is art, you know, it's great. Yeah, I mean, he's had so many iconic films, iconic moments that you kind of have to trust him at a certain point. Of the last four decades, each of his films is in at least the top five. You know, the 70s Taxi Driver, 80s Raging Bull, 90s Goodfellas, and The Last Millennium, arguably it's uh, The Departed because it won so many awards. It did. Or it's The Aviator, you know. And with this um, decade, it's most likely Hugo because I loved it. It was fantastic. Well, I do want to tell you at the end of this podcast what he's doing next. Oh, oh I'm so excited. Yeah, you know, um, because it is a return to Leonardo DiCaprio oh. as his leading man, uh, which I think looks really interesting. <laughs> um, all right. Uh, so the opening sequence we've talked about, it's amazing. Yep. One element I love about this film was that when I was sitting there, I was thinking about uh, Cinema Paradiso which is a film from 1988 that won the best foreign film, like Oscar, in uh, 1989. And it felt so similar in theme. It was about a projectionist. It's a fantastic movie. I I may have mentioned it before on this podcast because I'm a big fan of it. Um, With this young boy learning about film and and projection and the art of filmmaking. And, you know, there's really, really fascinating film. And it kind of doubled in tone with this film because I thought... It's all above everybody and behind the scenes. And there was a, a real uh, watching the townspeople kind of thing going yep. on in Cinema Paradiso. And yeah. there's a little bit of that in this where he's sort of watching and seeing the relationships and the um, familiar faces and everything like that. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. So I really thought of it like it's a classic film already. Yeah, that's like, an interesting comparison. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like and and, and both films have this deep love of cinema, of its history and its evolution and everything. And Scorsese obviously... Um, being a big, massive film historian, doing all those documentaries about films and everything like that, he's utilised a big commercial film to embed a, a sense of a, a cinema history lesson, if you like, of where of the silent era to the sound. I thought that was pretty interesting. I thought, oh, that's clever. <laughs> exactly. I mean, let's jump straight into the George Melies stuff. Yeah, yeah. He's, um, you know, a hundred years ago, he's doing things that 
students do these days yeah. in their college and you know university films he had the magician background it was similar to Orson Welles yeah <laughs> exactly and um, just making 552 films wow um, that most of which as in the film you find out he sold melted down there's no record of them you know, it's just fascinating. Because that's what it was like back then. They'd make a movie and there was no DVD. You know, once it's done its tours around the cinema screens, yep. that's it. You know, it's, it's, it's gone forever, you know. <laughs> and Scorsese, obviously, crazy into his research. Oh, and yeah. he's big on the documentaries. And he's so passionate. You feel it all throughout the film. He loves this he does. art form, yeah. Yeah, and um, I love when they do when they incorporate real people into films like this. Mm. I mean, Ed Wood, kind yeah. of like the Orson Welles yeah. scene. Uh, Forrest Gump, where... Um, you know, you've got Forrest Gump walking into all kinds of historical, historical situations. Moments, yeah, yeah. yeah. And and it's the same sort of thing, you know, they've sort of seamlessly put Ben Kingsley and, and his wife, who I can't recall who plays his wife, but yep. um into these films that exist and, you know, put them in the background as a dancer or yeah. whatever. And and it was great seeing the recreation recreation, mm. sorry, of um of Man on the Moon and you know all these old films that you're just like wow and you know Scorsese would have researched that heavily the glass house why, why is it a glass house oh that's right to let the light in you yeah. know <laughs> but while still blocking out sound while still blocking out sound yeah yeah um, film preservation this makes me think of uh, the National Film and Sound Archive and all the sort of uh, places where film is being restored and uh, you know the past is being collected and collated you know I mean there's the story of the Kelly gang like the first arguably the first feature film ever made which was Australian and that they found more pieces to a couple of years back Um, Scorsese says film is history with every foot of film lost we lose a link to our culture to the world around us to each other and to ourselves which pretty much says it yeah that's right Um, and he started the film foundation which people can donate to and uh, it costs a dollar per foot of film to like preserve and, and save. Um, and the mission statement is that it's a non-profit organization established in 1990. I mean, Martin Scorsese has been trying to preserve films for a very long time. Yeah. And it's dedicated to protecting and preserving the motion picture history by providing annual support for preservation and restoration projects. Yeah, that's right. I mean, they're picking yeah. films, iconic films, key films, you know, anything that is historically relevant, significant, you know, and restoring them and they've saved over 545 motion pictures wow yeah. to date so it's amazing first uh, of all I wish they came up with that earlier they would have saved Magnificent Ambersons <laughs> <laughs> I mean uh, according also to the, the website um, half of all American films made before 1950 and over 90% of films made before 1929 are lost forever wow that's tragic yeah. yeah and I mean we're in a day and age where it's all digital digitalized yep. everything can be preserved and copied and stored and everything like that yep. I mean they, they make copies and copies and copies of films so it seems stupid not to be doing this sort yeah. of thing I mean people who uh, have their photo albums and their parents photo albums you know they scan them and they make digital copies the DigiFrame for example yep. is like uh, a product which is easily available yep. to do this kind of thing <laughs> Um, no no profit given to us by Digiframe to mention them. <laughs> um, but, you know, like, uh, if there's a fire or something and you lose all your photos, they're gone. It's yeah. the exact same thing as, as film. And it's, uh, and it's all up there in the cloud as well. Like, uh, I guess YouTube will be, like, the carrier of movies, like, or a YouTube-like 
thing where you just upload the video now it's there forever in the cloud or like photos on facebook your whole photo albums are up there well i mean people can upload things to youtube and just set it to private yeah so no one can see it so it's just your own kind of yeah preserved online thing there but i mean if you can't log in if the person with the password passes away that's it isn't it i mean it's locked yeah petitioning youtube for permission but i just feel like um very strongly about preservation myself and it's something that I've been really interested in as well and it's great to see someone like Martin Scorsese I mean there's a board of directors that George Lucas and Spielberg and other people are on um, and they're all into it you've you've got to be I think um, into this if you all successful directors and stuff in Hollywood and it's the respect they have for the the titans that came before sort of thing like Mm -hmm. Milius especially exactly everyone's influenced by somebody yeah I mean and you wouldn't want to hear that that person's work was lost forever yeah isn't that tragic yeah 552 films or yeah that's fantastic and amazing um the fact that he was doing let's talk about like the effects and stuff I mean he's doing those shots where um they'll all freeze yep get out of the shot <laughs> yeah yeah and then they'll throw the smoke and stuff and keep going again and um he'll cut it together yeah seamlessly brilliant painting the frames to make them in color you know and there was always that um a comparison to his magician background which yep. is what i liked that helped him in special effects that was fantastic i loved it how entertaining he made it as well because there's a moment they go to the library and it's really what it is is a history lesson on cinema and he makes it so entertaining like I looked around and it's a kids film bear in mind and there's this um, you know tutorial or education so like on the history of cinema and things like that and people were interested and fascinated what happened that is great how many directors can get away with that Uh, 170 million dollar film by the way (laughs) and the other thing is obviously it's up for 11 Oscars and I kind of hope it takes best picture same but I feel like it'll take Best Director um, for Scorsese. But I do think the other film that's the front runner at the moment is The Artist. And yeah. the thing about The Artist is it as well looks Very nostalgically similar. at cinema and the golden age that has gone before kind of thing. Yes. It seems like a real theme I, I this wish year. I, I really want to see that now. I, haven't, I still haven't seen it. I know about it, of sure. course, but yeah, I still haven't seen it. Yeah, really, really interesting how we've kind of taken this whole retrospective look this year yeah and um yeah i think we'll see billy crystal make some jokes about that <laughs> you know um did you see the scorsese cameo in the oh, film no. missed it i'm disappointed i missed it i turned to my wife and i said that was martin scorsese and she goes oh is that who that was he looked a little bit familiar like you know it's kind of a yeah yeah you know he, she didn't really know what he looked like um when ben kingsley poses for a photo outside of the um greenhouse yeah Martin Scorsese takes the photo. He's the photographer. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. No, I didn't see that. So, <laughs> he sort of goes, smile, please, or something, and then just, you know, kind of photo. <laughs> Very nice. I liked how complete this film felt. Um, there was sort of, uh, it would show you something and then later on kind of pay off in terms of like the train. Obviously, there's that famous footage, black and white footage of the train coming towards the uh, cinema. And everyone thought it was actually going to come at them. Yeah. Exactly, which you learn about in film and like any books and stuff about the early days of uh, cinema. Yeah, cinema. Yeah. And um, there was that dream sequence Hugo has where he falls onto the tracks and the train's coming at him and it's really similar kind of the, the payoff. Um, there was the scene where they sneak into the film. He takes the little girl into the film. Uh, she's never been to the pictures before. And uh, when they go in the man on the screen escapes kind of he's on a sill yep. and uh, he kind of has to get back in 
Yeah, it looked like of, a Charles Chaplin type yeah, film. Ch- comedy, Chaplin yeah, Charles Chaplin kind of... Yeah. I'm not sure what that one no, was. No, it was, definitely was a Charles Chaplin, yeah. Um, so he's kind of outside the building, hanging on the edge of the building. Yeah. And later on, when Sasha Baron Cohen's character is chasing Hugo... He's hanging. He's hanging on the outside of that, uh, yeah. you know, uh, clock tower kind of building-y part. Very similar. That's kind of great. Repeating of uh, these images, which really kind of made it feel really complete. You know, I, I, I felt like uh, I could have kept watching these characters in this world yeah. you know, for longer and longer. How did you feel about Sasha Baron Cohen's character? That's interesting, um, where he's, like, uh, the actual actor himself. Like he's, he's obviously famous for, for Borat and Bruno and um, not so much Ali these G, dramatic guess, yeah. roles, more comedy. Yeah, but he's a pretty good, um, serious actor, I guess. It's interesting why Scorsese chose him. I thought, you know, with a, a, the director of that caliber, he'd have any pick of the you know, barrel mm-hmm. sort of thing. Sure. And he's chose Sasha Baron Cohen. Um, yeah, he's, he's pretty good. <laughs> As the station inspector. Yeah, yeah. and I thought inspector. he very competently showed us the, the, the love story between uh, Lizette, who was played by Emily Mortimer. Mm. Um, there was very kind of clear longing and uh, awkwardness, and he tried very hard and I think he succeeded. It was very believable and very good. And As he's one a bit the... threatening as well. Yeah, yeah. Indeed, yeah. Yeah. Very interesting. <laughs> um, I think all the characters did that, though. They were all really well-rounded, well-shaped. Just all seemed to want to be there and yeah. want to do the parts. Traits of a very high-caliber <clears throat> director and writer, obviously. I think yeah. Logan wrote the screenplay. Uh, John Logan. Um, and he's renowned for, you know, uh, I think The Departed and so forth. And he helped out with Gangs of New York. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very good. Yeah, I, I I was worried going into it that he was going to be too cartoony. Well, I saw from the trailer, I thought yeah. it was all about the automaton and about the ghost or something like that, and it was really magical, and they go in down a slippery slide and all that. I'm kind of, okay. Yeah. And I watched the movie, I go, man, the automaton really has nothing to do with this. <laughs> the automaton was interesting. We'll get onto that in a sec. Yeah, yeah the... Um the, the trailer made it seem very kind of comical, like Sacha Baron Cohen was going to run into a pole while he was yeah. chasing the, the little boy around the station. And the... The, the fact that they all were going to have an adventure, you know, that was, that's what says kids come in and watch it. And you don't see any of that, you know... It's uh, a very adult film. Yeah, for a kid's film, it's, it has very adult themes, The themes, it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's kind of subliminal almost. There's um, a great tragic it. shot where after they, you know, get into John Milius's room and they um, open up all the drawings in the top cabinet and he's mm. so horrified that he broke the promise the trust he had and he's just sitting there with his wife on the bed looking at all these drawings like a broken man looking at his past and the camera's just zooming out for ages that's heavy themes for a kid's film you know watching this old broken man I thought that was fantastic (laughs) yeah no it it really delivered I mean Ben Kingsley oh elite level actor exactly yeah and if you look at pictures of uh, George Melier, um, it's very similar. Wow, okay, like, they did a great job. Yeah, on, um... I'll put one up here for you. Oh, yeah, <laughs> that's excellent. Yeah, they've, they've, done <laughs> they've even a, got the mustache. <laughs> they've done a good job kind of recreating. If if you knew what he looked like and you watched the trailer, you might be able to put the join the dots sort of quicker than the audience would. How fantastic were the kids? I think they were like 12 years old or something. They were great. Mm. Hugo had those wonderful eyes. Wide eyes, Oh, my gosh. He just brought you into... Because you're watching the whole world take place through his eyes, really. And he has those... Scorsese cast incredibly well in this. Yeah, and the girl was fantastic as well. Yeah. Absolutely. And then they had, um, just as a librarian, they had... um, What's his name? Oh, God. He's a famous horror... Famous horror actor, Chris... um, 
Count, he played Count Dooku. Christopher Lee. Christopher of Lee. Such an Asian name, I just doesn't. <laughs> you know, um, Monsieur Labis, <laughs> apparently. Oh, he just a, a, a tiny role Small as a librarian, role. but exactly. oh my, how much resonance did he have in that? His presence is amazing. Yeah, He's and just I think a most people watching it would recognize oh, him yeah. as Count Dooku. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so uh, pretty much. Wow. No, absolutely. Yeah. I, I think I can even forgive that this was a film set in France where everybody spoke English. Uh, yes. Uh, we talked a... about that before, but Scorsese knows how to blend that mm. really well. Not like uh, um, uh, Spielberg where you don't know where you're at. You're just like, okay, yeah. oh, I'm in the German side now, but they're speaking with German accents. You know, he didn't have any of that. It was just naturally, you know, in France, but sat with, you know. Yeah. yeah. And this had like a really distinct kind of French feel. There was like... Uh, yeah croissants just yeah. kind of sitting around and, and there was a detail like you saw it on the 3d where all the musicians were playing and hugo sneaking around there's mm. a shot of the floor and there's um you know alcohol spill or coffee spill on the floor there's that intricate detail that you really feel like you're in that train station mm. only scorsese i think would put that detail in there and also having all the character kind of actors who he watches and things like that it kind of feels a bit like there's that movie chocolat or amelie um, and then there's like a real kind of hunchback of Notre Dame yeah. as well oh, that because feeling, he's, yeah. he's up in this tower and he wants to go down and be around everybody but he's an orphan in the same way I guess that the hunchback is a hunchback <laughs> yeah. he whatever the case may be he doesn't yep. fit in with society and uh, there's like a real sense of him being an outcast and he has to hide up in this yeah. area and if and anybody he, knows about him being up there there'll be trouble and he inhabits this underground you know this it's his world. own yeah, yeah, it's sanctuary his own, yeah, if exactly, you will yeah. yeah so there you go a lot of kind of French elements that made this feel French without everybody speaking French yeah. I think that's probably why I could forgive it yeah. and um, I didn't think about it as much yeah exactly and that goes to his credits because that's his credit yeah yeah and, and that's the thing I mean you thought about it a lot in films like we've talked about this before it's a pet peeve of probably both of us yep. would you say yep definitely yeah. let's move on to the automaton yep i thought the automaton looked a lot like metropolis oh yeah absolutely There's a little nod there another there? nod yeah. to a, a great kind of fitz lang's metropolis exactly. yeah and uh the fact that it draws the picture of the trip to the moon amazing and cool i yeah. mean this is like uh, i would imagine it'd be incredibly difficult to build a machine that did that yeah <laughs> <laughs> you know, just the logistics and the time going into that. I know it's a film and we can kind of cut around and make it look a lot quicker and easier. But the idea easier. itself the is concept, fantastic. It's, yeah, it's yeah. as if, yeah, as if like magic. Yeah. And also cool that he, uh, the Ben Kingsley's character, thought that it had been destroyed in a fire and this was like a huge welcome home kind of, you know, yeah. amazing to see it again kind of thing. Um, I did feel like there was a mistake in the film though. A little criticism here. Um, Hugo thinks that it's a message from his father. Yeah. He thinks that for some reason Jude Law's character, who's credited as Hugo's father, he doesn't have a name um, of his own, um, I don't think he would have had time to put a message in it. He found it and wanted to fix it. And his father didn't make it at all, you know. it's He it's died tragically. Exactly, yeah. in the fire. And so it just feels like it wouldn't be a message from his father at all. It's just something they were going to fix together. Yeah. You know, there's this movie, um, uh, extremely loud and incredibly close, which is also up for best picture, and um, it's about the World Trade Center. Tom Hanks gets well, his character gets killed in the World Trade Center. Sandra Bullock plays his wife, and they have a little boy who's Hugo-esque in his curiosity. I'm guessing. I haven't seen the film, 
but in the trailer he finds a key and thinks it's a message from his father right and something that he's left him kind of similar which i thought was really interesting i think people want to hold on to hope and maybe you know he doesn't really think it's a message from his father it's just something that they had together that bonded them yeah um but i did think it was silly initially the way uh, he said yeah, that it was. It's interesting because it seemed to ignore that. Like, you think, okay, this is the initial drive of the movie. Yep. He has to uncover what his father was leaving. Then it just, oh, no, no, it's about George Millian getting him back together with cinema. <laughs> but but no, yeah, yeah. Wasn't it great when he's got the kind of ceremony at the end where he talks to everybody? You know, yeah, I would dress you. Hugo. Yeah, yeah, that was touching. <laughs> exactly. It was, it was incredible, that yeah. scene. Um, you know, because he lost the faith. And, yeah. and the war happened and I always sort of thought why don't you just stop or make films about war or like you just kind of nobody wanted to see this but I remember when September 11 for example happened people needed films that could make them laugh and, and things that there was escapism and there were heavily like uh, 24 and all those like heavily f- promoted films about security like shows um, about security yeah, yeah yeah they're invincible like America can never be beat sort of thing yeah, yeah all those films came out yeah yeah and I just thought why didn't he change the kinds of films he was making when World War One began? And mm. he obviously had to sell some films in order to get money, but I sort of thought that happened over time. Mm. Um, yeah, it was sort of a, a strange kind of... I yeah. mean, I guess you had to be there, and I'm sure that times were tougher It's like his than, heart was broken and stuff yeah. like that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was interesting. Um, well explained enough for, for children, but, I mean, I'm guessing... Wasn't it a, another heavy theme though when his the uncle died of alcoholism, drank himself? That was to a death? bit full on. And yeah, there's that long shot they of him just him. dead in the snow. I'm like, oh, that is really sad. But it's a huge, a huge point in the film because yeah. he's been gone a while. Somebody's been winding the clocks and yeah, running things up and, there. And, and, and the, the train station inspectors discovered. Well, okay, yeah, yeah, exactly. And it's a big, big turning point in the film. All right, uh, well, Scorsese is best dealing with real people i think you know the howard hughes aviator the departed was also based on a, a real crook um, yep. on the top 10 list i'm pretty sure goodfellas raging bull yeah do you prefer like the um the the classic scorsese you know the main streets raging bull or are you happy with like well i guess what i'm saying is do you prefer his de niro films or are you more of a Leonardo DiCaprio film? Oh that's a very good question I'd have to say the De Niro era but it was a different because he's matured in a level he's had children he's had um you know he's growing into an older age so I got to respect that um position but I'm still young it's not his interests anymore yeah yeah Yeah. and I'm still young and I'm bloodthirsty and all the rest of it I love that that heavy themes the heavier themes but um uh, I think they're all great. I think any Martin Scorsese film is great. But if I had to pref- pick one, I'd say, yeah, the De Niro era. If I'd like, geez, I'd love to see them do a movie again. <laughs> one day. Mm. One day. I'm sure it'll be like a... Robert De Niro's still got it. Exactly. Still get yeah, he's, it. Still, still got it. he's got Killer Elite I mean, coming Showtime. out. Showtime. Showtime. <laughs> Who? Analyze this and that. I'm Rocky sure Bull, be... Rocky Bullwinkle. Ooh. Meet the Paris Oh, jeez. <laughs> he's, he's also matured as an actor. <laughs> Um, I was going to say, there's that scene where the author who wrote the book about George Melier, I'm sure I'm not pronouncing it correctly every time, (laughs) That's right. but um, he says thank you, you know, for all the films. He's the one who's been, he's the historian who's been following his career and saying, you know, I'm a big fan of yours and I just want to say thank you because obviously people thought he was dead and, you know, he's 
running the little toy it's kind of like and, Martin Scorsese up there on stage saying yeah. thank you to all the, the great ones of the past yeah. exactly I'll bet Martin Scorsese would love to say thank you in the same way that the author said thank you and that felt like a script yeah. that he had personally prepared and um, just very kind of nice fondness for the past and stuff and, and I, I was really sort of taken with it it's just such a really nice film for for people who appreciate film yep. I think and watching all the construction of all those sets the production design the the big smile on Ben Kingsley's character's face yeah. as he's enjoying because he's, he's every so element. grumpy at the whole beginning when he does smile and he's so touched by it you just feel this big relief you know yeah. oh, wow <laughs> and it's, it's cool because Hugo kind of lights something that he had in himself that had been sort of closed off for a long time he sees himself in Hugo wasn't that great when he comes in and he shows them the film and the wife is crying mm. watching it oh, that was so good <laughs> all the black and white films I did yeah. want to ask you if uh, you noticed this I'd read somewhere that the black and white films obviously were the, were the real films but somebody in 3D apparently they were in 3D I don't think they were no? um, I do remember seeing because I did watch a movie in 3D and I do remember thinking in my mind wow for some reason, these silent films aren't in 3D. They, they, they appeared flat. Okay. Yeah, yeah, they yeah, yeah I wanted to 3D. ask about yeah. that. No, they definitely... I remember... I could be wrong, but I do, from my memory, believe that they were just flat 2D images um, in, in watching the 3D film, if that makes sense. <laughs> it does. Um, I kind of see this as his love letter. Oh, yeah. You know, to film. And it's and what a great love letter. What a great movie. It does yeah. feel also like kind of a subliminal nod to the film preservation he's been doing. Yep. You know, and um it feels like that's what he's gonna have going for him long beyond his passing and, yep. and everything. That's his contribution, exactly. other than the great films he's made for the last four decades. <laughs> exactly. But that'll be something that continues, you know, this society in his name, in his honour kind of thing. And and this film will be the one that's associated most with that work, yeah. I think, which makes it really interesting, really important. Yeah, I feel unforgettable in a way, and I do recommend people see it. I oh, same. I completely agree with you. Go watch in three D. Go buy it on DVD. Everything you can. <laughs> um, I did tell you I'd mention the the next film Scorsese has. Oh with, yeah, yeah. With De Niro. It's oh, with uh, DiCaprio. Uh, DiCaprio. DiCaprio. That's right. Yep. De Niro, DiCaprio. Yeah, yeah. It's similar, never, isn't it? I never thought of that before. <laughs> It's uh, Sinatra. Sinatra. Frank Sinatra. Oh, okay. A bio- biographical movie on him, right? Looks like Interesting. The Life Story of Legendary Singer and Actor, Frank Sinatra. I don't care. Anything with Scorsese attached to it as director is going to be great. And that that's all that we know. There's no release. There's a screenplay credit. Obviously, um, Leonardo DiCaprio is attached. And that's all we know. <laughs> and that's probably all we'll need to know. <laughs> um, well, that is it for this episode. Hope you've enjoyed this uh, discussion on Hugo. As always, www.podmeifyoucan.com to find any of our back catalogue of uh, podcasts. And uh, become a fan at facebook.com slash podmeifyoucan. And, uh, you know, let us know if you want us to review something. Um, give us a rating in iTunes. All the sort of stuff we'll plug usually. The links are on the, uh, the website. And uh, this one was my choice to do Hugo so Lloyd what will we be doing next week I'm interested in David Fincher's The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo so if you haven't seen that you've got a week we'll be discussing it and uh, we'll go very in depth with that one I'm sure as well 
Um, until next time. Thanks, guys. All the best. <laughs>